hey y'all, you tired of church teaching that just ain't right? It's kind of contrary to all God's word and such. Well, you need to know how to refute it. This here channel will help you out. We got answers. Welcome to Contending for Christ Apologetics, where old Danny boy seeks to equip you with some tools that you can go out and fight that good fight and really develop that there Christian faith. Now get after it, y'all. Hey, welcome back everybody to C4C Apologetics. Today, I want to talk a little bit about logical fallacies in arguments. Now, I mainly want to talk about logical fallacies in regards to the philosophical arena of trying to give evidence for God's existence. But really, logical fallacies occur in just really everyday conversations and everyday reasonings and arguments. You've probably seen them more frequently in political campaigns and debates where the politician, they try to make the opponent sound bad, restructuring their argument and attacking one that was never even presented or simply never even addressing the question and beating around the bush. Or maybe you've heard politicians talking about how, you know, 70% of the people, you know, believe this or say that. And so they use that percentage as justifying whether some claim is valid or not. And so we want to talk about that. I want to talk about five, my belief of what their top five logical fallacies are. Now, these top five logical fallacies, when I was in a Facebook uh, debate group, I really ran across these very much uh, with atheists attacking me and my questions. But I don't want to just say it's atheists only. I want to say that theists also run into the trap, and you'll see, of using the same logical fallacies. But first, what is a logical fallacy? Well, first, understand that logic is really defined as reasoning conducted or assessed according to strict principles of validity. And basically, when you're talking about an argument, you have some premises and then a conclusion. And a premise will really talk about, well, if this happens, if this is the case, then the conclusion will follow. And so that's really what we're talking about in arguments. You're presenting premises and then your conclusion. Conclusion meaning, okay, this is the overall fact of the matter based on your premises. A logical fallacy is defined as a false statement that weakens an argument by distorting an issue, drawing false conclusions, misusing evidence, or misusing language. And so, like I said, today we're going to look at the top five logical fallacies and how to prevent you and I from using poor reasoning. Now, these aren't ranked in any particular order. These are just five of them. If you believe one's uh, more frequently used than the other, by all means, let me know in the comments below. But let's just jump right into it. Number one is going to be the red herring fallacy. Red herring, yes, just like you're imagining, it's a red fish. Basically, this is defined as a deliberate diversion of attention with the intention of trying to abandon the original argument. And so basically, this is uh, a fallacy to where you're not addressing the argument. You're trying to bring up some other point that has nothing to do with the original argument of the opponent or the other person. So what I'm going to do here on the podcast is I'm going to tell you uh, specifically what some questions I've made, some statements I've made, and then how these fallacies came about with the atheists on this group. So for instance, for Red Herring, I had asked this question, or really made this statement. While it may be the case that no one has ever killed in the name of atheism, I propose that the secular worldview has led to much evil. 
Such was the worldview of Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, and others. A belief of no value, purpose, or relativity provides a launching pad for acts of atrocities. And see, my whole argument is that while they say religion is the cause of much evil, I take that and I, I look at the fact of it's a worldview. A worldview can be the cause of great evil as well. And I use people like Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, and there's a lot of other communists and dictators that we know in the course of history has not had a theistic worldview. They believe that there was no value and purpose in life for mankind, and that led to evil, wicked acts. And so I pose that argument. This is a reply that I had re received. How does any of this tell us whether or not God exists? Even if atheists were running around killing everybody, how would that demonstrate a deity exists? Now that's the red herring because I didn't bring up anything in this argument or this position of the existence of God. I'm merely bringing up the argument that it's not only religion that kills and does evil acts, but it's also a worldview, a secular worldview that does that. Rather than addressing my original argument, they bring up an argument or turn it away from something I've never brought up. So, their reply was completely a diversion to a point I wasn't even trying to make. That's the red herring. The second one is called straw man. And straw man simply is reframing an argument into an exaggerated or a distorted view, which totally misrepresents the position or the argument. And then with this pseudo argument that you built, you attack that one and you pat yourself on the back. For instance, I posed a question to atheists. Is there anything that would convince you to change your position regarding God's existence? So I asked the question, and it's a great question because Dr. Frank Turek even points this out. Really, before you engage, you want to ask them, if Christianity was proven to be true, would you change your mind? Would you convert? If they say no, you're really probably wasting your time talking to them about God. So this is what was a question I had. Is there anything that would convince you to change your position regarding God's existence? This is what I received back. You think it's reasonable to believe in magic. Since magic is illogical, what logical argument could you possibly persuade you to reconsider? You see, they totally restructured my question by de redefining God's existence into this nonsensical claim of it being magic. You see... While we can easily see that and we want to charge the atheists for doing that for Christians, we have to be careful doing that ourselves. Because if you are not in agreement with evolutionary theory, if you do not agree with evolution, like I, I don't believe in evolution, I'm, I'm a strict six-day literal creationist, but yet too many times I have heard people in the same camp as me claim that atheists and evolutionists state we come from monkeys. And then we want to question why monkeys exist. Well, if we came from monkeys, then why are monkeys still there? Checkmate. But you see, that's not their argument. Their argument is that we share a common ancestor from a monkey or an ape or whatever the case is. Not that we actually come from the monkey. And so this is the same straw man where we're restructuring their argument or mainly is based on ignorance of us knowing what evolution even teaches. But the straw man, be careful of this fallacy because it's, it's very prevalent when you don't know how to address the argument. So you turn it into the pseudo argument to make the other person look bad and sound bad. And then you attack that one and give yourself kudos.
Number three, this is called either the false dilemma or the either or fallacy. And basically what this one is, is, is you only present really two options for an argument when there could be many more logical possibilities to an argument. For instance, I had this atheist say, theists either don't believe in evolution because A, they don't understand it, or B, they don't want to believe that we are apes. Now this is kind of funny because I just said a moment ago that the evolutionary theory doesn't state that we are apes or we came from apes, but that we share the same common ancestor as an ape or a monkey or an orangutan. And so they really don't understand their own evolutionary process, thought, and everything else. But when we're going to the either-or fallacy, they're saying, okay, if you or I, if we don't believe in subscribed evolution, it's because of one of two things. Either we don't understand it, which clearly this person doesn't, or we don't want to believe that we come from apes and that we are apes, is what he says. And so there's many more options out there on the table. For instance, when you look at all the evidence that there is for God's existence, then it's clearly rational and reasonable to believe that we came from a created, uh, we were created by God through an intelligent designer. You see, those are not the only two options in this question. The evidence for evolution doesn't line up. The evidence for creation is a little more, well, I would go on a limb and say a lot more stronger than evolution, especially when you look at what Frank Turek asked the question of, what came first, matter or mind? If matter came first, how does matter, physical properties, create the mind, the metaphysical? But if mind came first, it's clearly evident how mind or intelligence or God can create matter. So the false dilemma, the either or fallacy, be careful of this one. Just saying, well, you only do this or believe this because of this or that. That's not the case. There totally can be many more options out there on the table. Number four, ad hominem. This is when you respond to an argument by not answering the argument itself, but rather attacking the person's character or their credentials. I heard this a lot of times when people just say, oh, don't, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't even have a degree in that career field or that's that area. Just because if a degree is not held doesn't mean that their argument is not sound. But going back into the debate forums that I was referencing, I had this question and I think it's a pretty good question. It says, if the majority of atheists hold to subjective morality, then why do you judge the supposed immorality of God? If it is subjective, then may it be right for another or God? Are you arguing a moot point with subjectivity? And this is what I get in response. We don't judge a God that doesn't exist, retard. We judge you. You see, they clearly ignored the claim and the argument that I made, and they just go on the offense and trying to attack my character and saying I'm an idiot. Or I had another question. This, I think, is a good question as well. And if you don't understand what fractals are, look into it because fractals are a clear evidence of design in nature by God. God's fingerprints, if you will. I asked, I'm curious, how can one explain fractals in nature in the universe outside of a mind behind it? What are some proposed theories? And then what did I get back? I got, wow, geometry. Math be hard for some folks. You see, again, they're not answering the question or the argument. 
They're merely just trying to come off and ridicule me and make me seem like an idiot. Even the basic, rudimentary, simplest form of mathematics doesn't and can't answer the question on fractals in nature or the Fibonacci sequence. Look into that. Study that powerful evidence for the existence and design from God. The fifth one and the final one is the appeal to ignorance. Now, this is one that everyone uh, is committed at least one point in time, and I know I have as well. And this is basically a position that an argument is true because it hasn't been proven false yet. Now, one of the biggest things is, for instance, uh, Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. Just because it hasn't been proven false doesn't necessarily mean it is really true and it's a valid argument or that it's a plesiosaur in uh, the Loch Ness in Scotland or Bigfoots roam around in the different uh, areas of the world. But back to this Facebook group. An atheist said, can you prove Muhammad did not fly to heaven on a winged horse? Can you prove I did not materialize seven seconds ago from a trans-dimensional portal? You see, people like to use this fallacy to try to checkmate theists like myself because we reject a non-theist view which supports their claim. We got to be careful, though, because we can fall into the same fallacy by positing that God exists and claiming its truthfulness simply because he has not been proven to not exist. You see, it goes back to the area of omniscience. And this is where the new atheist movement, which has been up for quite a few years now, uh, had changed their stance. And they've realized that science can never disprove God's existence. So they changed their tune to try to argue that science shows God's belief in God is irrational or unreasonable. And so they've changed their tune on the basis of they can't be everywhere at once. They can't have all knowledge of everything at all times. And so they know that there might be some things out there that they don't have the knowledge of. And so they go ahead and and they change their tune as far as disproving God to actually making God irrational, belief in God and irrational. But this is an appeal to ignorance, claiming something's true just because it hasn't been proven false. Now, I've I've heard many people say that Somebody can't prove the non-existence of something. Okay, while I understand and agree with that view, what my problem is, is whenever somebody makes an argument or whenever somebody makes a point, for instance, you hear all the time by atheists, God doesn't exist. That's an argument. That is a position. Now, the laws of burden of proof reveal the fact that the person that makes that argument has the burden of proof to prove their argument true. And you can never, ever disprove the non-existence, or you can't prove the non-existence of something because you have to have all knowledge and you have to be everywhere at once. We just simply can't do it. So, But we need to be careful as far as being theists as well, like I said, using this to say and claim that God exists because he hasn't been disproven. What is the strongest counter to this appeal to uh, ignorance argument? I personally believe it's something called abductive reasoning. So you're right. Can I prove that the flying spaghetti monster is not real out there in the universe somewhere? No, I can't prove that it's not real. However, through abductive reasoning, I can use all the evidences, all the reasoning, all the logic 
and draw a conclusion on whether it is a re- is unreasonable or reasonable. What is the most plausible explanation for this argument? You see, it's looking at all the evidence and determining what is most reasonable conclusion. I'm going to have an episode on abductive reasoning soon enough, so be on the lookout for that coming up. But abductive reasoning is a very strong and powerful tool to use in your toolkit with Christian apologetics. Because with abductive reasoning, while we have to have faith in God, there's plenty of evidence that shows that faith and belief in God and the existence of God is a lot more rational than believing in uh, the Big Bang, singularity, uh, this expansion rate of the universe within a closed system. Well, there you have it. The five most common logical fallacies that I've personally encountered. Whether it was the red herring, the straw man, the either or, the appeared uh, ignorance, and the ad hominem. Let me know in the comments if you've had some other logical fallacies that you've come across. Remember, my goal here is that I hope that you learn not to argue this way or how not to make a position using one of these fallacies. And remember, we're not told by God to get people saved. Rather, we're simply told to tell people the truth of the gospel and their need for a Savior through Jesus Christ. So please, let us not invalidate our positions by succumbing to one of these logical fallacies. Well, I thank you for checking in to C4C Apologetics. And until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.